0: So how I usually like to to start these conversations is really about an individual's journey and usually, when I talk to people they're working on really big things in their life and, and something that'll take years of their life right' it'll, it'll take a lot of a lot of stress and, and, a, and a lot of a lot of mental bandwidth and and, and a lot of, of time right in their life. And it's usually something that, you know, they're dedicating a big chunk of their life to, right. So I, I think it's uh it's important to to know what led up to that point. So I don't know how far you want to go back, but but maybe we could start maybe right after sort of Stanford and, and sort of MIT and, and maybe what what education brought to your life and then then how you started your career.
1: So I think a, a big part of my journey that is often untalked about, if that's even a word, is <laughs> actually where I'm from. So I I am from Silicon Valley. There are not many of us. Like wow, I was yeah. born here, I was raised here, and I grew up during the dot com boom. And actually in high school my best friend and I made a pact that we would start a company together someday. And in fact actually later we would. And so I think that, you know, time and place certainly has a big impact on my life. You know, neither of my parents were engineers or in tech. And so being here, living here, growing up here, was a big, big influence in the career direction that I had. And so many of my peers and friends who grew up here also ended up going into tech as a result. And fast forward many years later, I was working at Google. And, you know, I think I really enjoyed working with the people at Google. They're all super sharp. But I was really inkling for something more. Mm -hmm. I wanted to start a company. It's something that I'd always thought about because I grew up here. And so in late 2008, I decided to leave my cushy job at Google and start a company. And as some of you may remember, late 2008 was not a great time really for anything. (laughs) Um, You know, obviously the real estate markets were hit the worst, but that definitely had a ripple effect to all investors and I could not raise any money. In fact, I would go into meetings with potential investors and they would be checking their stocks like during Uh, the meeting. Right. Right. So couldn't raise any money, but it actually turned out to be a good thing because I had no idea what I was doing, and that time really taught me how to run a business, mm-hmm. like the really understand the fundamentals of a business. How do you build one from scratch when you don't have any capital? Things like that. And I would say that I really floundered for a good couple of years. Sure. Um, I just really didn't know how to figure things out. Eventually, got on my way. And my best friend from high school, whom I formed a pact with to start a a company together, like we, we ended up building out this essentially ad network for email, Um, sold that company in 2014. And that was really what kind of kicked off, I would say my investing career, which is Mm -hmm. where I am today, which is, I originally went to mentor at an accelerator called 500 Startups, which is the accelerator that we went through with our company. And Originally, I went there to try to, you know, help out some startups, but also really try to understand what are some cool new opportunities that are happening. I'd been so heads down in the ads world that I had no idea what was new and interesting. And one thing sort of led to the next that I ended up getting sucked in, became a partner (laughs) at the Accelerator and ran the Accelerator for a few years. And during that time, it was very eye-opening because 500 Startups has a high-frequency investing model where they just invest in a lot, a lot of companies. Hmm. I think to date, they've certainly invested in more than 2,500 companies, uh, which is a lot. Yep. But it also means that they had a lot of data and it was very easy to see some things. So for example, you know, one thing that often gets batted around in Silicon Valley is this question of, is it a fair place? And- if it is a fair place, like, why do you not see that many underrepresented minorities or women in startups or tech or whatever it is? Why, right. why is the funding not there, et cetera? If i under startups, which by the way, did invest globally, continues to to this day, and also invests in a broad swath of people, like all different demographics, I could see through large amounts of data that actually what was very interesting was that It is true that Silicon Valley has some strong pattern matching that generally falls along the lines of where you worked, where you went to school, gender, and race. Like you combine all those things together, it can be really easy for some people to raise money and quite challenging for others, even if they have a great business to raise money. And I think that that's a purview that a lot of people don't have because most people don't get to see all that data, but I could from being there. So one of the things that I began thinking about while I was there was, well, actually the interesting startup that I want to, or the interesting problem that I want to tackle next is actually changing VC. So when I started my VC fund, Hustle Fund, it was a way to do that. We are very mission driven. We want to change the way people invest, uh, other investors, by how we invest. And we can certainly dive into that, but that, in a nutshell, is what we're aiming to do. We're very mission driven. It's not, oh, Elizabeth wants to be a VC.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, it's, uh, and is it? Do you say you want to like change VC, right? That probably has. It's kind of hard to define what that that change is because there's probably a lot of, you know, things that need to be changed, but also a lot of things that are solid, right? In 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 their foundation, is is the change part of who you invest in, right? Versus. The type of companies you invest in right or, or look at and, and was the the change that you wanted to see was it more along you know we're investing in the same people and we need to invest in in, in a diverse you know human pool so to speak or was it also a diverse type of company um, sort of thing or, or was it a little bit of both
1: well there are a lot of different components of what it is we want to change so i think in one bucket Uh, just very simply there's the mechanics and behavior so for example vcs are very known to try to change a meeting on you at the last minute or to ghost you and go completely mia it's like Mm -hmm. hello where did you go like not even just give you a no but just like completely leave so all these things i think about just general customer service right right i think needs a lot of changing and i think the way to change that as an industry is well if you introduce competition and if you provide better customer service then that forces everybody to provide better customer service right. you know competition solves a lot of uh, those kinds of problems so that's that's one arena and the second is around how companies actually get picked as well mm-hmm. so actually i mean i would i would state very clearly that we do have a diverse portfolio but we do not have a diversity mandate and and i think where i'm going with this is we want to change how VCs even pick companies. And I think at a high level, what I was noticing about how people get picked today is uh, mostly by resume and how you sound. Um, Hmm. You have a wonderful resume and, you know, generally pattern match along other lines, um, gender, race, and extrovertedness. Then then you'll do well. It doesn't really matter what you are working on, to be honest. But that doesn't actually mean you're a good entrepreneur. There are no. going to be some people who are, and then there are going to be a lot of people who aren't, just like with, with everybody else. I think that you know, if you kind of look at who the best entrepreneurs are in our portfolio, they, they really span the gamut. Like They're very different people. But I think there are some commonalities. And one of those commonalities is um, not based on these traits, but based on what we call hustle. And uh, we define hustle very narrowly. It's essentially ability to execute with speed. And a lot of that involves focusing on just one thing at a time. Where you see pitfalls with founders is, you know, sometimes they go off and get distracted, speak at too many conferences, seek too much of the limelight in the press, like spend too much money, not very focused on the business, you know, things right. like that. I mean, there are obviously a whole slew of other problems, but that is an example of You know, there are certain traits that make good founders, but they have nothing to do with where you went to school or gender or race or where you worked or anything like that. So we seek out certain things in our founders uh, in a very different way. The other thing that is interesting to me is that when I was working at the accelerator, we would make all these investment decisions and all these companies would come in into the office and they would work. And what I realized is I learned so much by watching (laughs) all these people work after we made the investment. And it occurred to me that a much better way to invest is to invest after working with people rather than hearing them talk. Amazing. The entire industry invests in people based on hearing people talk. Right. So, what if you could build a model where you're doing a lot of investing based on how, you know, working with people? And so as part of our model, you know, we certainly will, you know, take a stab at it and, and write a first check, um, investing in people with interesting ideas and seemingly great ways to think about those ideas. And then we work with them. And, you know, it works both ways, actually. You know, it's, a, it's actually a little bit like hiring in that we learn a lot more after working with somebody, you know, the analogy would be a summer internship, right um but they also learn a lot more about working with us like you know are we, like do we behave well in the industry are do we actually provide any value a lot of vcs go around saying they provide value and they actually don't you know did they do anything for me like do they go to bat for me all these all these things and so it's a way for both parties to kind of get to know each other and then maybe work together on another check and we'll invest more money, you know, if we both want that. And sure. And so that's that's how we operate with Hustle Fund, which is sort of a little bit more like a hiring model where, you know, we offer summer internships basically, and then we we both decide if we want to work together that, like long
0: term. That's amazing. So what does that like look like from you know, when you say work, work with you or work with us? Like what what does that actually look like? What is the quote unquote, you know, summer internship? <laughs> like what would it do? What is that? What does that actually like look like day to day? Is it week to week, month to month? Like, is it calls? Right? Is it actually working on ideation? Like what are we working in spreadsheets to get like, what does it look like from quote unquote summer internship? You know, if you can give us some details.
1: Yeah, no, uh, we're, we're a very open book. So one thing that we offer to all of our companies is, uh, a program called Redwood school and it's okay. a, a tactical customer acquisition program. It's not an accelerator. It's basically a series of workshops on specific things. So like, for example, if your customer acquisition channel is outbound sales. Like, you know, here are the workshops we're offering as part of Redwood School that we think are relevant to you and would be really helpful to you. And it includes office hours with third parties, not people at Hustle Fund, you know, like my, my knowledge gets dated every year that goes high. <laughs> but with third parties who actually are in the trenches, like as salespeople or building sales teams, uh, as an example for the outbound sales uh, track. So Redwood School is free to our hustle fund family and our portfolio companies, you know, can can do that. And that's, that's one area. The other is fundraising. So we, you know, I have personally opened up my network to every founder who has asked um, and most ask. Uh, to help them with fundraising, whether it's sure. intros to angels or other microphones or big sandal VCs, obviously depending on the stage of that particular company. But uh, that is something else that we work together on. Like, you know, I give them feedback on their deck or their blurb right. or also, you know, help even armchair quarterback their rounds where it's like a VC will come back and say something and the founder would say, I don't really know what this means. Like, what <laughs> did I respond with? Like, I, I've often been in the weeds at that level. I don't go to the meetings, but, you know, I think that often fundraising is a, is a, is a very uh, new thing for many entrepreneurs and, you know, no one really knows what they're supposed to say or what they're supposed to do
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, it, and it's funny you say that because that's kind of how uh, I found you because I was, I was really researching kind of you know, micro funds and micro VCs and, and sort of raising money as a VC is, is similar to raising money kind of as a founder, right? There is some similarities, not, not, not exactly the same, but like you have to go raise money too, right? As a VC, like your fund, you have to go out and raise money. And I love how you detailed out like that entire process of, (laughs) uh, I don't know, was it like an entire year, I think, right? Like you mapped out all your meetings and like how much of a Pain in the ass it is, right? To kind of raise, I think it was ten million, right, or or eleven or or twelve. It was something in in that amount.
1: Nine months to raise eleven and a half million. Yeah, there you go. Seven hundred (laughs) meetings (laughs) over (laughs) seven.
0: So you should write a book on you know VC meetings then, right? And and what people want, (laughs) what people don't want. But I I think I'd like to to stay on the fundraising topic for a second and and get your thoughts on you know equity crowdfunding because I think it's a really interesting landscape that is is. Is fairly new, I mean, since 2012. So, I mean, it still is maturing and has a, a very long way to go. But what are your, thought, what are your thoughts around equity crowdfunding and, and do founders talk to you about that? Is that a path that you send some people on or send others on or maybe, you know, to do another round, you, you maybe send them that way? I guess just what's your overall thoughts on, on the equity crowdfunding?
1: I like it a lot. In fact, just in general, I really like all these new newer so you know so-called newer forms of fundraising because I think just the more financing options that a founder has the better right, no, right. Uh, it it improves actually both things that I talked about one is etiquette or customer service mm-hmm. just by increased competition in options and then I think the second it it does also um it doesn't quite change VCs processes but it it improves like how you can raise or your chances of raising so so that I think is a good thing equity crowd fundraising, I think is best for companies who tend to have large communities. Mm-hmm. So if you are a community oriented product and you have a lot of users or even a lot of customers, I think it could be a great way to, you know, take the audience that you've already built and say, Hey, you know, totally want
0: open
1: this up to my strongest mm-hmm. supporters. And I think it's no better, like there's no better way to get buy-in from your customers where somebody, even if they're only an investor for a hundred bucks, like, right. They're a little bit pot committed to making sure that you succeed and they are already customers so they can provide you with feedback or ideas or whatever. They're just more vested in your journey. And I think that that's great. Certainly, I've seen it work for other kinds of companies that don't necessarily have community. You know, we've had a couple of companies go through equity crowdfunding. One is a company called Fleeting and the other company is called Hemster. Both are doing incredibly well neither really, I would say, has like a, you know, they're not an audience-based product. They're not like a media company or anything. Right. And But I think that the other thing that is happening now is you're seeing more just consumers get educated on the idea of angel investing. So even if they cannot afford to invest, you know, $25,000, there are a lot of people who are interested in exploring the idea of investing $100. And if you have a personality, like a founder personality that people can gravitate towards, um, then that also is very helpful with equity crowdfunding. Like, for example, the founder of Fleeting has a, a, an incredible life story. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, I just want to support you. Right,
0: right Like right.
1: It, it, You know, you have a boring B2B business, but I want to support <laughs> you. So, so people really did get behind that. And he had a, Pierre had a lot of success actually um, doing that.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on just like the portfolio, portfolio companies and, and maybe some of the ones that you're, you're super excited about or, or, or kind of want to just dive into a little bit? Because I, I, I'm always, I'm kind of a nerd on on sort of like, uh, you know, portfolio companies, but within, within funds, because I think what you invest in as, you know, a fund and sort of a VC kind of already says a lot about the fund itself, right? And the people who run it. I guess what what are some of the ones in 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 your portfolio that that you're sort of super proud of?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think that there are just honestly a lot. So I'll give you a snapshot of the portfolio. Yeah. So we've invested in almost 200 companies over the last three years. It's a lot. And it's a lot. It's hard to pick your favorite child out of two. <laughs> and and I you know I think just you know further. Stats or data around that, like 15% of the companies came in cold, like no warm. Wow.
0: From wow. anybody
1: like just, you know, we have a submission page on our website, like yep. anybody can go there, like, you know, people often ask me, well, how do you get introduced to a VC, especially during COVID when there are no no networking events.
0: Right.
1: For us, it's just fill out the form. Um, <laughs> So that's another thing. Um our founders come from across the US, Canada, and now Southeast Asia. Those are the core areas where we focus on and invest as part of our mandate for for both hustle, you know, for for our hustle fund. And so, you know, as such in you know, our portfolio we I think from a demographics perspective, we are fairly diverse. You know, 30% of our companies are led by female founders, 16% by underrepresented minority founders people are tackling problems across all industries uh, like largely b2b but i think within b2b it's it's very broad you, have, mm-hmm. you know we have founders in construction or uh food or you know um we have founders in fintech like all across that like insurance yep. payments loans etc so fairly broad and if i had to pick one i, I just don't think i could do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh well us you mentioned you mentioned uh Hamster, was it? And let's just talk about what that is. And you said it's boring B2B, but like, you know, I'm interested in boring B2B. So like, what, can you explain a little bit more about what they do?
1: Hamster. So Hamster is trying to help with the e-commerce returns problem. So as we all know, know, a lot of people are ordering clothes online and then something doesn't fit or doesn't fit quite right. And so you want to return it. But the problem is if companies, retailers, Provide free return shipping like Amazon does for a lot of retailers. That's just not that's just not a sustainable option. Right. Amazon happens to have you know huge coffers of cash. Most most sure. don't. And then if you ask the the buyer to pay for the return, mm. oh, a lot of people don't really want to buy from you because yeah. chances of it not fitting is pretty high. Yep, so what do yep. you do? Well, what Hempster does is they're kind of a happy medium where it's like, okay, hey, they, they approach the e-commerce companies and say, hey, why don't instead of taking care of their return, which is very hard to process, there's the shipping, and then you have to you know, store it somewhere, and then you have to try to resell it, etc. Why don't you actually pay less and offer them uh, a free hemming job, ah. a free tailoring job? Uh, where it's, it's a cheaper option, but you're providing that good customer service that people are looking for online. So it's a, it's a B2B2C type of model where they approach all of these online retailers and online retailers pay for it for their customers. And the customers then essentially, in, instead of returning it all together, where there are additional costs beyond shipping, like, you know, warehousing and then.
0: Of course. So they around. would actually send it to Hempster yeah. then and they would work on it and send it back to the customer.
1: Well, actually, what happens then? <laughs> um, yeah. So actually, what happens then is um, Hempster works with uh, a tailor. Gotcha. In lots of locations, like gotcha. a local tailor, who actually will come to your house and measure you.
0: Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and so it will actually be fitted to you, and then and then they'll get it done. And and you you might think, well, the unit economics on that seem really. Challenging, you know, when tailors coming over to your house, etc. Right, right. But, but actually, um, with the way the market is, they they're able to kind of segment work and hire somebody very local to come to you and measure you. Sure. And then it's the tailor who, in a location for mass tailoring, you know, takes all the measurements along with the clothes and just does all the all the tailoring all at once. So it, they are able to separate the work and if you can h- find people who are a lot of people who are very local who are willing to do a measurement job then then that becomes easier
0: well and it's such a it's such a cool like customer loyalty effect too i think right because it's like if because they probably the customer probably doesn't know it's like hamster right doing all the back and stuff they probably think it's like oh this company is like sending somebody out to me to like measure me like that's pretty, you know, that's pretty incredible, exactly. right? So I think that part, it, it's worth it for for the e-commerce sort of do it because it's that brand loyalty and, you know, they might have a customer for life if if they do something this like out of the ordinary, right, for a customer. I think that's kind of, uh, that's pretty interesting. That's, that's, exactly. that's yeah, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to go back real quick to, to the submissions and you said you get, you kind of get, you know, these submissions and you guys actually like read them and look at them and, and actually invest in companies through through your submission form. What are those and this kind of goes back to our, our our previous question about just, you know, who has ideas and who's getting funding, are those submissions you know, from, you know, diverse founders? Are they from women? Are they from men? Are they from, you know, people in Asia, people in Canada? Like, what are some of the submissions that you're getting to the site?
1: All all of the above. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. We have a large volume of submissions. And actually, I would say, if there's any part of the hustle Fund experience that I really want to improve that I think needs the most improvement, you know, frankly speaking, I think it's that stage, which is, yeah. We just have a huge backlog of Mm. companies to look at, Um, but they are, you know, actually all across the board on, you know, just about everything.
0: Kind of going back a little bit to when you kind of first started, (laughs) right? And kind of that time where you decided to do a fund, right? Because that had to be a really interesting sort of mind map, right? And, and sort of, you know, sit down and like a personal moment in life where you wanted to actually do that. Cause I mean, that's a big decision, right? Cause that's going to take up a chunk of your life, right? When you start a fund, I mean, that's gonna, you know, you're, you're sort of going to dedicate your, a lot of your life to this, right? I guess, what was that decision making process like? And and was it the ta- that time at the accelerator that really motivated you to start your own fund?
1: You know, this kind of goes back to mission, which is I've been a founder before. And specifically, I've been a founder of an ad company before. <laughs> and um, for anybody who has ever worked in ads, you know, as you know, it's not a very um, fulfilling type of industry. Sure. You can certainly make a lot of money. But I, you know, it occurred to me that <laughs> ads are not my life's work.
0: Yeah, you don't. yeah, you don't want to be remembered by that.
1: And so when I was thinking about, well, what problem do I want to tackle next? Like if I were to build another company, which was the original impetus for all this, I thought very deeply about what problems I cared about more from the lens of what do I want to work on for the next 30 or 40 years? Exactly. And I went through just a lot of ideas where it's like, okay, I think these could be good businesses, but. I can't see myself working on this for 30 or 40 years. And Mm -hmm. that was just an automatic, you know, out the window for me. Right. So I think when it comes to hustle funds, to answer your question more directly, um, yes, it's definitely a commitment. In some sense, it's a bit more of a commitment because at a minimum fund lifespans are 10 years. Right. As soon as you start fundraising for that, you have signed up for 10 years. And it's (laughs) you, your name that's on the documents, unlike in a startup, Yeah, I think you can kind of transition out certainly within 10 years, if you can get the business to a certain point. But there are key man clauses on the docs where I can't transition out like in year eight, um, even if you've gotten it going. So so you're actually more committed in some sense, if you're a VC because of the longer time span. And, uh, you know, we definitely did think long and hard about it. We kind of solidified that, yeah, this is this is the problem that we want to go after and solve and see it from a 30 year perspective. Like, yeah, we're, we're committed. We're in.
0: (laughs) Do you see, are you inspired by like uh, when you first wanted to start, did you look at other models, like sort of micro VC models or or, or founders that were sort of doing the same thing that you were trying to do? And and did you sort of, you know, seek them out for for sort of advice or, or was there anybody else that inspired you to to say, Hey, I kind of want to build something like, like they did.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there were a lot of um, new models coming out around the time that we were getting started. I think the, you know, before we got started, we did do our homework and talked with fund managers who are one to two years ahead of us in Mm -hmm. this journey to really understand, okay, what does it actually take to raise a fund? And the person that I would probably credit the most with regard to that is Charles Hudson, who runs a pre-seed fund called Precursor. Where you know he gave me a lot of good advice, even well before I had you know committed to this idea, and I had known him from before, and so he was he was very open and honest with me about what is that path, what does it look like, and you know, frankly speaking, that path is really hard. <laughs> um, but you, for whatever crazy reason, decide to do it anyway.
0: <laughs> I, I love kind of sticking to to the VC model, if you don't mind, and and I've been I, I think fascinated over the last. Probably a year or so really really a couple of years about so many of these uh boot camps kind of popping up in, in the developer space and, and now sort of like they have sales boot camps coming up and, and and all these different sort of boot camps that are really like skill training people right in a very sort of like fast way is not a good term <laughs> efficient way I will say like look if you want to do something it shouldn't need you shouldn't have to take four years of your life to try to like learns right like there's a way there's a more efficient way to do something right if you want to learn javascript or you want to learn python like this is a better approach to do it right do you foresee maybe something like that happening within vc where we could get like a boot camp vc sort of not course but like it's something where we can get more people into the vc space because just like you said uh you know traditionally there's a certain type of person that got money allocated toward them right well in the vc space there's like Traditional person that is a VC, right? That has the opportunity to even raise funds for a fund, right? Is there a way to actually open up, you know, the the VC, the you know, the the micro VC space to more diverse people, right? Just like diverse founders, there should be diverse VCs, in in my opinion. And is there a way where? I'm not gonna put this on you, right? But you have a lot of experience and like you've kind of gone through the ringer of doing it all, where it's like, I feel like the hustle fund could provide like a boot camp for like VCs, right? This is what it takes to actually do it, right? And make sure you make sure you you take like this course or or something before you actually dedicate, like you said, at least 10 years of your life to something.
1: Well, it's funny that you bring that up. So I'll answer that in a second, but You know, we very much keep in mind what our mission is, which is, you know, very concisely, it is we believe that hustlers, people who can execute with speed, ought to be able to access resources. That's it. That's very broad. It has, it says nothing about VC. Our first, you know, stab at the problem was by starting a VC firm. Mm -hmm. But, We've already started launching other types of funds that are not VC funds and that I do not run. I do not know how to run other kinds of funds. (laughs) Um, We have also started launching other programs. One that is announced that I just mentioned is Redwood School for our own portfolio company, but we have other programs in the works for the general public. And we we also are working on scaling up our content. But I think a piece of the puzzle of this also to this to the to the end of this mission is that we do need more funders and so how do you bring about more funders well i think my take is slightly different from what you mentioned but very similar in spirit which
0: is
1: (laughs) i don't think we necessarily need more vcs per se and Mm -hmm. and by vcs i mean people who professionally spend all of their 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 day-to-day on investing in startups but i think we do need more funders and that could be getting more people into angel investing and well, how do you get more people to angel investing? Well, I think there are a few steps. One is certainly education, as you mm-hmm. allude to. We do have plans around that that are unannounced. <laughs> and then, um, but the other is also around portfolio construction and dollar amounts. So
0: right. I yep. think
1: one of the problems right now is even people who get rich, they're like, I don't know anything about investing in startups. I'm not about to plunk down $25,000 sure. to a company. Yeah. And that's just a really big step. Like it's, you know, if you think about a ladder, it's like stepping from the ground to step five. What we need are to establish other steps, which is, okay, instead of investing $25,000, can you invest $100, like on Republic or $1,000?
0: right.
1: So can we create vehicles to make that easy? So that that is something that we have certainly been mulling over and may have announcements around. <laughs> but then I think in conjunction to that, you do need the education piece. And then the last piece is around just portfolio construction. You know, a lot of investors or people who get into the game, I know, like often get very, you know, ecstatic about particular companies and are like, these are my five that I'm going to invest in. <laughs> but I think when you're getting into it, you probably want to have, more than five, so how do you get enough deal flow to to have more than five, and so I think that's sort of the third piece that we are working on to help bring in angel investors into the scene, but more to come
0: <laughs> beautiful can't wait to hear it so i 'll end on, on on two questions and the first would be is what were your lessons learned from the seven hundred meetings does it was there key takeaways that that you sort of took from that that you think are, you know, maybe the the top three takeaways or or really one mega takeaway that that you took from from those 700 meetings?
1: I think it's a numbers game and you have to be able to triage quickly. (laughs) So I think one of the challenges with raising money from people who do not, you know, raise their hand to say we're investing in VC firms, is you don't know before you go into a meeting, or you don't know who to approach, like uh, who would actually be interested. Right. And so there's the challenge of how do you get all these meetings, and then how do you qualify those people, just like in a B two B sales game, like how do you qualify those people quickly to decide whether or not to spend more time with them, or do you move on and try to find more leads? And that I think is the name of the game for raising money for a VC fund. And the way that we essentially did that was number one, like we asked everyone a lot of questions. We were pretty aggressive in asking people after one meeting, you know, whether there was strong interest in, in what we were working on. And if the answer is no, that's perfectly fine. I just want to know to move on. right? Right. Right. And the other thing is in generating leads, we got, we had to get kind of creative. Like we asked everybody for one to two intros. We like literally everybody, I pitched my eye doctor. <laughs> uh, you know, you're sitting in the chair, right? And they're like, which is better, five or six? Um, and then they're like, let me tell you what I'm up to. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, you you pitch everyone. There are more rich people in your circles than you think because you go to parties, you meet engineers, sure. or designers, whatever, right? Like those are all opportunities to pitch. And then you ask everybody for one to two intros. And then lastly, asking friends to throw lunches or dinners or parties themselves where you can then meet more people like that. So, so that's kind of how we got the flywheel going to get those 700 meetings. It's not like I have 700 rich friends. Sure. And-
0: right. Right. Me. <laughs> okay. I promise two more, this one okay. and then the last one. So This one would be, well, What I guess, if you don't mind sharing, what was your pitch, right? What was your pitch to to those 700 people? I mean, was it around you? Was it around you and your partner's vision of a new type of VC? Or was it we're going to invest in different type of people, right? And different kind of founders, unlike, you know, maybe other, you know, funds out there.
1: All of the above. So part of the game was uh, sizing somebody up immediately, like to figure out what their (laughs) interests were. Um, You know, there there were definitely some LPs who invested in our fund because they felt like we need to be in this world allocating more capital, you know, towards a diverse set of founders. That's not currently happening. We Mm -hmm. think you're good stewards of that capital. That's definitely one angle. Another angle was, we love the idea of you working with companies uh, you know before investing a lot of money. So a new kind of model. so like differentiated on right. model and portfolio construction. so that that's another angle. Another angle is there were some people who wanted to co-invest. And because we we're writing such small checks, right um, that's great for co-investment opportunities. We see a lot. You get to invest alongside us. great. so so there are lots of different angles, all obviously part of the same story, but the question is like, which one do you play up based on what you are assessing this person will really resonate with in the first five minutes or so? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. That's a lot to assess though, in five minutes. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> you you can write... make a best guess. You have yeah. no idea. You make best guess. <laughs> and you could be wrong, right? But you, you do make a best guess.
0: So usually I like to, to end on The future a little bit, and you know, there's obviously some uncertainty in many marketplaces, you know, right now. But I think, like we alluded to before, as a VC, you always have to think long-term, right? You have to think in these three to five-year, eight-year intervals. So, what are some of the goals and and successes that you want for the Hustle Fund, right, within this, let's say, five years, you know, seven-year sort of time horizon? You know, maybe not from a return standpoint, but just from you know, a fund standpoint, right? Trying to build a brand for, for the hustle fund. What, what does that look like? And what are some of the, the goals you want to achieve in that time span?
1: Certainly. So for, from a mission perspective, you know, over the next, call it five to seven years, I think that we really want, so we want to accomplish a couple of different things. So one, we want to certainly establish ourselves in the, in the VC game. Like everybody should be thinking about hustle fund as a first check possibility. Mm-hmm. And I would say, actually, right now, even if people know about us, you know, some founders have told me, like, "Oh, I, I didn't know anything about your portfolio. I, I just, you know, assumed that you don't invest in people like me." <laughs> whatever that. No, and I'm serious, actually. Either right. because they're in a geography that's not Silicon Valley, mm. or you know, because they're a female founder or underrepresented minority or whatever it is, like. I have heard that comment. I don't want anybody to ever think that. So, so that's that's number one. Position ourselves as like, we want to be the go-to for your first check. That's more from a self-serving perspective. Yeah. But then I think from a, a, an ecosystem perspective, I think then what we are working towards, especially on the VC front, is building relationships with co-investors, whether they mm. are angels, we are trying to generate more angels, we are forming relationships with other VCs, these are all light, no official partnerships, but so that way we can take all these companies and, you know, essentially refer them to people who are actually relevant. I think part of the challenge in raising money is like, I know from knowing all these people that this person would not like your business.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, This other
1: person really would. You as a founder don't know that because you don't know any of these people and you don't know what they like or don't like. And people's websites are very vague. Like, oh, yeah,
0: I know. Which is another issue that I I would love to to change personally. Yes. So (laughs) very bad. Yours is really good. Right. But like most are like kind of awful. It's so strange.
1: So if we can kind of help more companies, whether it's our portfolio companies or others, like kind of get them better triage to where they need to go. Like, I think that would be better for everyone, just like getting more funding in kind of the right places uh, is probably the right phrasing around that. And then the last piece, which has nothing to do with VC, but I think doing more development work around other funding possibilities Mm -hmm. that are not VC. So As I kind of alluded to, we do have another fund that is a revenue-based financing fund that essentially does entrepreneur-friendly loan. And so that is like very different how they do their assessment. And it's a completely different process and different team, et cetera. Well, you can imagine maybe there are more funds that we can launch that are are different from what we've got today that can help even more entrepreneurs get funded.
0: Wow, I love that. I can't wait to to hear all the updates. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time, Elizabeth. Um, I know you're you're super busy, and I know you have a lot going on. As as you as you alluded to, it's it's great because I, I know that uh, it sounds like every day you're you're just super motivated, right? You have so much to do, but sometimes that's that's the fun part about it. Right, it's like waking up and and just having too much to do. But it's like if you're passionate about it, it's like it, it can be a, re, a really an amazing feeling. And I can I can definitely uh, tell tell that you you're enjoying what you're doing. And you know, keep up the amazing work and and best of luck uh, the rest of this year, obviously, and and the future.
1: Thank you. Uh, you take care as well, Grant.